Speak a Dogcast. My name is David Farb, Animal Behavior Specialist, and I'm broadcasting from WOUF Wolf Studios in beautiful Palm City, Florida. Thank you so much for joining me once again. If you haven't clicked that subscribe or that follow button, do so right now. New episodes come out every Wednesday. Well, most every Wednesday. You're going to want to check them out. Uh, actually, you can maybe hear it a little bit in my voice. Um, unfortunately, I'm a little bit under the weather. Uh, I'm unable to get a new episode out this week. Normally, we get new episodes out every Wednesday, but like I said, I'm feeling pretty sick, <laughs> unfortunately. So maybe like a mild flu or something. Um, needless to say, I can't get a new episode out this week. I sincerely apologize to all my listeners. Uh, so what I'm going to bring you today is a uh, old episode, if you will, two actually segments from two different episodes, two of my favorite segments uh, that we're going to replay today. And we'll be back next week with a new episode. So this week, we're going to revisit um, a segment about dog psychology class. Yes, a lot of the basics, very important stuff, one of my favorite segments, as well as a segment on puppies, crating, and housebreaking. So be sure you check it out. Guys, also follow me on Instagram. You can check me out there at Speak at Dogcast. We did have our training tip Tuesday yesterday. I was able to get that in. Couldn't get the episode in before I started feeling not myself. So uh, again, my sincere apologies, but please check me out. Please follow me. Please come back and visit next week for a brand new episode of Speak a Dogcast with all that great training, information, dog training tips, and more. So enjoy this recap episode for now, and I'll see you guys next week for a brand new episode of the show. Next on Speaking Dogcast, it's dog psychology class. It's time for that refresher course. Yes, maybe some of you newer listeners have not heard this segment yet. Uh, I've done it kind of a few times, a few different ways, and today it's time to talk about it again. Look, it's Psych 101, Psychology 101 class. Um, in my opinion, you really can't master dog training, animal training, without having an understanding of what you're doing. For that matter, I don't think you can succeed in a way that most of you want to without having that understanding. Like, I, I see a lot of trainers out there who don't rely on these concepts, and the fascinating thing is they use them. Yeah, they use the concepts. They don't realize it. They don't know how to explain it. They don't know how to recognize it, and therefore they don't teach it. Um, it's one of my biggest gripes with one of the most famous trainers out there, one of the most famous dog trainers out there. It's one of my biggest issues with uh, this person. They don't explain what they're doing from a psychological perspective. And look, quite frankly, the reason psychology exists in the terms and in the way that it does is because it allows us a way to quantify and qualify behavior on a measurable scale to some degree, right? Um, that's the thing about psychology. This is this is not like this is not my my opinion. This is not my technique. This is not anything I've made up. These are concepts that quite frankly I think are universal natural concepts that we have found a way to label and understand. Um, and that's why they work so well. You know, look, while psychology does evolve as a field, and while everything evolves in a field, I think there are some fundamental truths. And and for that matter, the the, psycho the psychology world agrees that there are universal truths in the way we all learn, in the way we all understand and perceive the world around us, okay? So simply put, every animal on this planet is going to learn the exact same way. We all do. We all learn the same way, whether it be dog, cat, bird, it doesn't matter, your Uncle Tom, your, your nephew Bob. Um, nephew Bob? How many people are naming their kids Robert still? I don't know. Uh, <laughs> but that's the point. We all learn the same way. 
Okay, the concepts are all the same, animal to animal. The only thing that's going to change animal to animal, species to species, maybe even person to person or individual to individual, is going to be the motivation. What motivates you is not going to be what motivates me. What doesn't motivate me is not going to be what doesn't motivate you. Okay, so how we manipulate that motivation is how we get different results animal to animal. All right, so David, what are you saying? <laughs> I'm saying a lot of things and just wait, just wait. Okay, because this is gonna get a little crazy. This is gonna get a little difficult at times. Um, psychology is one of these things where to some people it can be very, it's just like anything, right? Some people, math is very simplistic, not to others, that's me. Uh, depends on math. I, I can do algebra, I can do a lot of, you know, I liked geometry, that made sense to me. I enjoyed geometry. Um, one of the few math classes I can say I enjoyed, but that's the thing. Some people's brains are built some way, some are the other. So look, if you don't have that psychology brain in you, stay with me. We're gonna try to we're gonna try to get this in a level that everybody can understand. But I think the biggest thing, and before we get started, the biggest thing that gets in the way of people understanding psychology and the psychological terms that go along with it, it's our preconceived notions and our preconceived understanding on these issues, on these concepts, on these psychological terms. And the biggest one we could even point out is positive and negative reinforcement. And that might be where we'll see if we'll start there. Uh, but those are very misunderstood concepts. And I could almost guarantee that majority of you out there, and I'm not saying this is a slight, it's just the truth. I could almost 100% guarantee that vast majority of you out there do not have the correct terminology for positive and negative reinforcement. And because of that, because of this misunderstanding and this, 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 uh, mis, unfortunately it is, I hate to use this word, but it's true, misinformation uh, that's been put out there. It's true though. That's why people, I think, have such a hard time understanding these psychological concepts, because in our world, in the human world of feelings and emotions, just right off the bat, positive and negative don't mean the same thing from a human emotional standpoint as from a psychological standpoint. Okay, so the, when we before we really dive into this, the first thing I have to tell you guys is just throw away your preconceived notions of what you think you know, what you think you feel, <laughs> any of that stuff about psychology, okay? And speaking of feelings, that's where we're going to begin. Feelings. Look, we're not going too much into animals and emotions today. But the first, I'm going to say two things about it. The first thing is, look, guys, I'm not, I, I don't doubt for a second animals have emotions. You, you work with them long enough, you work with them enough, and it becomes very clear. Animals have emotions. To what degree those emotions are, to how deep they are, to all that kind of stuff, First of all, we can prove in a lot of ways that it's not very deep for vast majority of the animals, whether you want to hear this or not, this is the truth. I'm sorry if I'm breaking hearts, but the truth hurts sometimes, guys. Like this isn't, I'm not going to not say things because I'm going to hurt people's feelings. No, this is just it's the truth, so it has to be said. The vast majority of animals do not have the depth of emotions that you guys think we do. Oh, David, but they do. They prove. No, you let your own emotional bias think that they do. Okay. So with that said, First of all, okay, so that's that's the first thing. Animals do have emotions, but my thing about it, and, and, and psycho in the psychology world, I cannot quantify and qualify emotions in a dog. I can't do it. It's impossible. I don't care how well you know your dog without asking, without the communication levels that we have, it's never going to happen. You are never going to fully be able to quantify and qualify emotions in animals. Even the highly intelligent ones, guys, I hate to break it to you, uh, even something like an ape. While I'm not doubting that their emotions are more in-depth than a dog, I still can't quantify and qualify it. I just can't. I can't, I can't, I can't. It's never going to happen. So that's the first thing, okay, that we just have to dispel that. 
And the second thing is you cannot let your own emotions get in the way. What do I mean by this? Look, guys, we, we, have, we have psychologists and therapists in, in our lives, and there's a reason that psychologists and therapists have success with people and working with them and their emotions. The reason being two things, as I always say, it's two reasons psychologists and therapists gain success. Number one, they have the knowledge, they have the understanding and the education of all the information that goes with it. And number two, they are an unbiased, non-emotionally, non-involved party, third party that can look at the situation for what it is and give the professional opinion without any emotional attachment. Did you hear that? So when it comes to training your dogs, even, yes, even a dog, you cannot let your own emotions get in the way because you become biased and you are no longer looking at it from a psychological training perspective. You are now looking at it from an emotional perspective. David, don't you love dogs? Of course I freaking love dogs. What the hell's wrong with you people to ask a stupid question like that? <laughs> I love dogs so much that I cannot let my heart get in the way. I love my parents to death because they raised us and didn't let this stupid thing get in the way of doing what was right for us as children and what we needed as children and the structure and the rules and the badges and then things you don't want to do as a parent that you have to. It's the same damn thing with your dog. Okay, it's just a little harder because they're fluffier and cuter than your kids are. <laughs> okay, um, so guys, take the emotions and throw them away. Get rid of them. All right, here we go. Let's dive in. Positive and negative reinforcement. You ready for it? Positive and negative in the science world do not mean good and bad. We just talked about taking the emotions and throwing them away, so that's what I need you to do. Positive and negative, you heard me. Positive and negative reinforcement in the science world and in psychology do not mean good and bad. It's that simple, guys. It's that black and white. Positive and negative are going to mean addition, subtraction, or removal, right? That's what addition and subtract, or excuse me, positive and negative mean in the science world. Now, the dry definition of positive, no, excuse me, before, I don't want to jump ahead of myself. All right, so positive and negative, get that in your head. Uh, positive is going to mean the addition of something. Negative is going to mean the removal or subtraction of something, okay? And we're talking about stimulus most of the time. We're talking about the site. So we're adding a stimulus, we're removing a stimulus. Now, what that stimulus is, this is where the second word is very important. We've all heard of positive reinforcement. We've all heard of negative reinforcement, right? Positive and negative reinforcement. We got those two words there. I'm about to blow your mind. You know what other words we have that go along with positive and negative? You ready for it? Positive punishment and negative punishment. Did you guys just hear me? We have positive reinforcement, negative reinforcement. We also have positive punishment and negative punishment. David, you're getting tricky. No, I'm not. Stay with me. So I just said positive. We have to look at both words here, guys. Okay, so stay with me here. Let's talk about the reinforcement side before we go to the punishment side. Reinforcement. Reinforcement by definition in the psychology world. Reinforcement is going to increase behavior, okay? It's going to increase behavior. Punishment is going to decrease behavior. Now, this is where it starts getting real tricky because everyone's hearing, oh, increase and decrease. Oh, automatically, David, we're at positive and negative again. You're kind of right. You're on the right track if you're thinking that, but let's, let's, let's make this differentiation here. Now, if I have the words positive reinforcement, right? Positive reinforcement. Let's say I have those words right there. Positive, we now know, means addition. So I can already take that first word and go, we're adding something because it's positive. Now let's look at the second word, reinforcement. Okay, 
Reinforcement increases behavior. Okay, so I could kind of, I can go, well, let's see. I know what positive means. I know what reinforcement means. Positive means to add something. Reinforcement means to increase behavior. Okay, so positive reinforcement is to add something to increase the behavior. Yeah. So I could easily jump to the other side and go, well, negative means removal. So if we have negative reinforcement, ah, stay with me, guys. Negative reinforcement, let's look at the two words. Negative means to remove something, to, to decrease something, to remove something. Reinforcement means to increase a behavior. So I'm removing something to increase a behavior. What, David, you're getting crazy. <laughs> yes, I am. Stay with me, guys. I love this stuff. Gosh, I love this stuff. All right. Positive reinforcement is the addition of a stimulus in order to increase a targeted behavior. Therefore, negative reinforcement is the removal of a stimulus also to increase a targeted behavior. Huh. Stay with me, guys. The point being, reinforcement is going to increase behavior, whether it's positive or negative reinforcement, either one, by definition, because of what reinforcement means, I'm removing a stimulus, adding a stimulus, removing a stimulus, adding a stimulus, all with the idea to increase behavior, because it's reinforcement, okay? Now, let's talk about the punishment side. Oh, everybody hates punishment. Oh, my gosh. No, let's not hate punishment. Let's understand punishment, right? Punishment is anything an animal works to avoid, guys. Anything. Anything an animal works to avoid. The most basic example I always have to give, because all of us can relate to it. I don't want to get a speeding ticket, so I drive the speed limit when I drive down the street, right? So I don't want to get a ticket. I work to avoid getting the ticket. Therefore... Well, that just fit the definition, didn't it? Anything an animal works to avoid. I work to avoid getting a ticket. Therefore, a ticket is a form of punishment for, for me. And a ticket decreases my behavior of speeding. Oh, remember when I just said punishment decreases behavior. So by, by creating a form of punishment, by adding a punishment like a ticket. Oh, anybody getting there? Anybody getting there? When I'm adding a punishment like a ticket to decrease the behavior of speeding, I'm actually positively punishing the behavior. Oh, we're getting so tricky, David. We're getting so tricky. Yes, I'm adding a stimulus to decrease my behavior of speeding. Does that make sense, guys? Are you staying with me here, right? So amazing. Positive and negative don't mean good and bad anymore all of a sudden. Do they all of a sudden? Is it starting to click for some of you out there? I know, this is tricky. You may have to go back and listen to this four more times. Believe me, guys, it took me a couple months to get all this straight because it's not, while it's simple, it's not. Let it be simplistic in the information, but think about what I'm saying because it all kind of, it's like a little puzzle. You got to fit all the pieces, right? So if I just said adding a stimulus to, to, uh, to, to decrease a behavior, right? Adding a stimulus to decrease a behavior, well, that's going to be positive punishment because adding something is positive but to decrease a behavior, that's punishment. So therefore, it's positive punishment. Wow, I love this stuff. All right, my <laughs> now let's put it all together. Let's see if I can give an example to you guys where we're going to use positive and negative punishment, and we're also going to use positive and negative reinforcement. Now, there's two examples I really like to give. There's a human perspective example and a dog perspective example. Let's start with the human perspective example, okay? We were all little kids at one point, and you guys may have heard this, I've given this example before, uh, but we can all relate to it. That's what I like about these. They're very relatable, all right? First one is, 
we have a little kid. Let's say it's a little five-year-old, right? The five-year-old's acting up and starts throwing a tantrum and, and we say, five-year-old, go to your room. And they throw a tantrum and they go to their room and they're crying in their room and they're pouting and it goes on and on and on. But then all of a sudden we hear it tampering off and the crying starts to stop, begins to stop, should I say. Now, let's think about this, guys. In that moment, I want the child to behave, right? And not throw a tantrum. So we all do this automatically. We go, go to your room. You don't even realize it, but you're using positive and negative punishment right then. Stay with me. The child is misbehaving. I want that behavior to decrease. Well, if I want that behavior to decrease, I have to use a form of punishment. Okay, well, let's see. The kid wants to be out hanging out with us, so just taking away a kid's freedom, aka a timeout, right? Removing that freedom is a form of punishment to a child. Oh my gosh, did you hear that? Removing that freedom is a form of punishment to the kid. So what is that? It's negative punishment, isn't it? Ah, I love it. How awesome is that? It's coming together. Now, stay with me. You ready for it? Oh, you ready for it? So I'm taking away their freedom, but I'm also putting them in their room, creating a boundary, right? Creating, creating a boundary. So I'm removing their freedom and I'm also adding a boundary. David, you're blowing my mind. We are positively and negatively punishing at the exact same time. Guys, this is where this stuff can be tricky because we can have stimulus uh, happening simultaneously. Stimuli, there you go. Happening simultaneously and they're both punishers. They're both forms of punishment. So I take away their freedom, negative punishment. I add a boundary such as telling them to go to their room, positive punishment. Two forms of punishment to get that behavior to decrease. Now, a few minutes go by, kids stop screaming, they stop throwing a tantrum in their room and they calm down. Well, that's the behavior I want. So I wanna reward that behavior. I don't wanna keep punishing. Why in the world would I wanna keep punishing them if they're doing the right thing? I don't wanna decrease desired behavior. I wanna increase desired behavior. So now I gotta get rid of all the punishments. Let's get rid of them. Let's open that door, let them out, give them freedom, take away. I'm removing all the punishments. Stay with me here. The child is now doing the desired behaviors. I don't want to keep punishing that. I want to stop punishing that. So I remove the punishments to increase that desired behavior. Aha! Remove the punishment, negative, to reinforce that calm behavior. Reinforcement. To increase, excuse me, to increase that calm behavior. Reinforcement. See what I did there? Remove the punishment, negative. Okay? I'm removing the punishment to increase that desired behavior, reinforcement, negative reinforcement. Boom, there it is. This is what I love about this stuff, guys. It's a very simplistic puzzle when you start just plugging and chugging, going, well, what's happening right now? What is going on? Well, I added a punishment. Oh, boom, <laughs> positive punishment. Cool, well, now they're doing what I want. Oh God, I gotta take that punishment away. Well, let's see, I got a negative, I gotta remove negative, uh, and I'm trying to reinforce that behavior. Oh, negative reinforcement, <laughs> done. How awesome is that? This is what I love about my job. It's funny, it's fascinating to me. My wife loves being a CPA because everything makes sense, right? Everything has a box to check, everything uh, everything comes to terms, everything equals that. All the numbers are plug and chugging and it all is like a big puzzle that she can make sense. And the funny thing is I laugh about it because that's exactly what psychology is, just in a completely different way. <laughs> and that's what I love about it. There's that resolution in the end, always. You can always find, what do I need to be using? Reinforcement, punishment, but what do they give me what I like? Yes, okay, I need to reinforce that behavior. Well, let's see, I'm gonna add this to, so that's positive, okay? 
All right, we got really tricky today. We got really tricky today. But guys, that's the basics of what it comes down to. Um, the intricate basics, the, the advanced basics, <laughs> but, uh, but basics nonetheless. Okay, so to review, to review, positive and negative, they don't mean good and bad in the science world. They're going to mean addition and subtraction. So when we have words like positive reinforcement, negative reinforcement, and we have words like positive punishment and negative punishment, we're not thinking good and bad. Instead, we're thinking addition, subtraction, adding, removing, right? Okay. Now, if I, I have to look at it like a flow chart, and we're going to go through the review as well as add this in. I like to look at it like a flow chart. Okay. Are they doing what I like, the animal? Are they giving me a desired behavior? Yes. Cool. Reinforce that behavior, whether that be through positive or negative. Most likely in that instance, it'll be positive reinforcement. Okay. Add a stimulus to increase that behavior. Cool. Is the animal still doing what I like? Yes. Cool. Positive. You see what I'm saying here? Okay. How about is the animal doing what I like? Is my dog doing what I like? No, they're not. Ooh. Well, I need that behavior to decrease. I need that behavior to decrease. That's punishment. Okay. Uh, let's see, they're jumping all over me. My goodness. Well, how do I get them to stop jumping? I mean, I need to give them a little correction, maybe a little touch correction. Positive pun. Let's see, I'm adding a stimulus to decrease that behavior. Positive punishment. There it is. Did my punishment work? Yes. Remove the punishment to negatively reinforce the behavior. Are they continuing to do the desired behavior? Yes. Positively reinforce the behavior. Right? Don't overcomplicate it. Yet it's complicated. But don't overcomplicate it. Keep it simple. Look at it like a flow chart. If you understand these concepts and you memorize these definitions, guys, you'll have no problems. None. Zip. Zilch. Zero. Um, and again, this is a good opportunity to plug the Patreon page again. Make sure you go check out my Patreon page, patreon.com slash speakadogcast. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com slash speakadogcast. Because guys, we have awesome content going up there. We're going to be having a monthly uh, group Zoom call. Well, we're going to be talking about all these kind of things. You guys can actually uh, interact and talk with me, and we can really get in depth on truly understanding this stuff. Um, you know, it, it's really, it's a really great way to take your training further with your dog. So again, guys, check it out. Patreon.com slash speak a dog cast, get some great content and help support the podcast. Uh, gotta give that plug. All right. So getting back to it, the one thing, um, I kind of want to, more than anything, I really want you to take away from this is the positive and negative reinforcement guys. More than anything, we need to have that understanding that positive and negative, we're talking about science. We're not talking about feelings. We're not talking about emotions. We're talking about science class. What does positive and negative mean in math? Does it mean, oh, I'm hurting, I'm happy? No, it doesn't. It means adding and subtracting. Keep it that way with psychology because that's what it is. All right? Um, look, these concepts, while they may be difficult, like I said, if you keep it simple and you start looking at it from a very basic perspective, you will start seeing your dog's behavior in a different light. Um, that's when, you know, when I'm a couple sessions in with somebody and we start getting to that point, I love it. They start seeing it, you know, by session one and session two, it's like, well, Hey David, what do I do for this? How do I, David, what do I correct by session three and four? The people who've been doing their homework, it's not, Hey, well, I need to reinforce that, right? Should I read? I need to be positively uh, reinforced. Do I, I need to be positively punishing that? Oh, that's negative. Oh, I didn't negatively reinforce that fast enough. When I start hearing the, Hey, what should I do here? Versus, Oh, that was positive or Shay, should I do positive reinforcement or See the difference? You know what I mean? When I start seeing that, you start seeing the training evolve and really take off. Okay. So I cannot stress it enough. You will not have the success you're looking for with your dog without understanding these basic concepts. 
You need to understand positive reinforcement, negative reinforcement, positive punishment, negative punishment to get where you want to be. All right. Uh, I, I know it's it's not easy. Make some flashcards. <laughs> That's what I did. <laughs> All right. So get out there, understand these concepts, train your dog, and of course, get out there and walk your dog. of your dog barking all the time or maybe you want them to stop jumping on people when they come over or does your dog take you for a walk instead of the other way around well we can help at the nature of training and speak a dog cast we are committed to improving the relationships and lives people have with their pets no matter what behavioral issue you are experiencing from an unruly puppy to more severe issues we can help our virtual training programs are catered to you and your pet and create a training plan that gets results. For more information, you can check out our website at www.thenatureoftraining.com or find us on Facebook or Instagram at Speak a Dogcast. With the ability to connect, teach, and train with pet owners around the world, together we can make a better home for our furry friends. The Nature of Training and Speak a Dogcast, helping you achieve success with your pet. Speak a Dogcast, puppies, crating, and housebreaking. Puppies. Everybody wants them, but not everybody should have them. Am I right? <laughs> yeah, you know, it's the truth, guys. It is. It is. Puppies are awesome. They're so much fun. It's a great blank slate as far as training goes. And you can make, you know, I mean, that's what you hear a lot. That's why people want puppies. They want to make the dog part of their family from the start and get a good fresh start. And that that's all good stuff. But guys, only if you're setting your puppy up for success, you know, I think it was last episode, I, I kind of jokingly, not jokingly, uh, <laughs> said that I watch people all the time raise a puppy from from a very young, you know, very young dog, very young puppy. And I watch them raise it and screw that dog up, you know, unfortunately. So just getting a puppy does not ensure that you're going to have this wonderful, perfect dog. The only thing that's going to ensure that is training is behavioral training, exercise, stimulation, structure, boundaries, rules, discipline, affection, treats, food. Okay, those are the things that are going to create a good dog if they're implemented correctly. So having a puppy doesn't guarantee anything. You can go get a rescue dog and implement all those things and create an amazing rescue dog that's two or three years old. That's five or six years old, you know? There's there's no reason you can't do that. So the first thing we have to discuss when we talk about puppies is that a puppy is not for everyone. It's just not. You know, look, if you work a ton and you just don't have the means to get home and let you let your dog out, your dog's going to spend a lot of time in the crate. Maybe that's not the best. Maybe a puppy isn't the best for you then. Maybe you should get a dog that has already been crate trained, has been through it, is a little bit older, and is perfectly happy to be out in the house. Maybe you have the ability to put in a doggy door and your dog can have access to the backyard while you're at work. That's the better setup for somebody who works a lot, not a puppy. Let's talk about, you know, another thing I encounter pretty often, older people. Guys, this isn't a slight to anybody. I'm just, I'm a realist at the end of the day. (laughs) I've seen it a few times recently where, you know, an older couple goes out and gets a a 10 or 12 week old puppy. And it's not just a puppy. It's like a golden retriever or, 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 you know, another high energy breed, essentially doodles. That's the popular one. Right. Um, 
And they get these dogs that really have high needs, high energy needs, high stimulation needs. And then we tack on puppy on top of that. And it's just, it's not going to work out real well in the end. You know, look, these older couples, older couples that I get as clients that get these dogs, they've forgotten. It's been maybe 10, 12, maybe 15 years since they've had a puppy. And unfortunately, guys, yeah, 10 to 15 years can be, it's, it's a long time. And you, you get older and maybe you're not as fast as you once were. You just don't, you know, you can't keep an eye on a puppy the way you used to. It's the truth. We're not, we get a little more tired or something. Maybe we're physically not able to walk the dog like we should. Guys, these are going to create problems if you're getting a young puppy. There's, there's no training. No amount of training is going to solve something like that. You can't substitute, well, my dog is well-trained, so I don't need to walk him now. I don't need to stimulate him. I don't need to exercise it's not going to work like that. It's just not. So, uh, you know, again, I just I just kind of have to point out that a puppy is not for everyone. Now, let's say a puppy is for you. Let's say you've done your research, you've done your thinking, you've thought about it, and a puppy is right for you. Look, my wife and I, Jen, uh, Jen and I, we had, uh, we had, we had, we made that decision, what, just over a little over a year ago. Wow, actually, yeah, no, it's been a, uh, it's been a year since we lost Penny Lane, which is crazy to think about. Um, yeah, like right at a year. Um, and so we got Riker, what, two months after, two or three months after that. So yeah, again, just about a year ago, we got a puppy and we didn't take that decision lightly. We thought through it and we were ready. We were ready to bring a puppy back into our home. And it had been a long time since we had a puppy. So I get it. If you want a puppy and you're ready for that puppy, hey, I'm all about it. I'm not trying to scare you out of it. But at the end of the day, guys, I'm a realist. And you have to be a realist when it comes to your pets because being a realist is going to make you do what's best for yourself and for your dog or potential dog, potential puppy, right? <laughs> okay, so that's the first thing I just kind of wanted to get out of the way is who should and shouldn't have a puppy. But if you're ready for that puppy, then you know what? We have to talk about the two most important aspects of training your puppy, crating and housebreaking, right? Nobody wants a dog peeing and pooping all over their house, so clearly housebreaking is important. But the one that sometimes gets looked over is the crate. Yeah. And guys, I, look, I'll just tell you right now, without a doubt, without a doubt, if if I could only tell you two things to give you two pieces, you know, uh, advice on how to do two things with your puppy, it would be the crate and it would be housebreaking because those will get you so far ahead in your training. It will if you do them correctly. Okay. Look, we have to start off by talking about the crate. Okay. Um, I, there are some people who, who turn a nose up at the crate who don't like the crate or, oh, I don't want to put them... Guys, do your research on what a crate is. Don't take my word for it. It's, it replicates a den for them. It's, it can actually be a very comforting thing, but it all depends on how you, just like anything, depends on how you condition it, okay? So the crate can be an amazing thing, guys, because it can help solve uh, issues like separation anxiety. It can help keep your dog safe when you're not there. You can't keep an eye on them. There's practical uses, which we'll, we'll kind of talk about in a little bit. And then, of course, there's housebreaking. That goes hand in hand with crating. Crating is one of those things that's going to uh, be a tool in in uh, housebreaking your dog, okay? So let's just get into it. Let's start talking about the crates, what you need to know about it, and all that good stuff. Let's talk about the type and size of the crate, plastic versus metal folding crates. You know, look, guys, to each his own on this, really. I, I've used both. I've used the plastic crates. I've used the metal crates. But right now, I mostly use, well, I pretty much exclusively use metal crates, Part of it is a practical reason for myself. I have sometimes a lot of dogs in this house that I have to be crating, and sometimes I don't have a lot of dogs, so we have to be able to move these crates easily. And to me, it's just a practicality thing. 
I need to be able to fold up the crates and stack them away easily. Plastic crate, that's not gonna allow me to do that. But if you're someone out there, you've got one dog, there's nothing wrong with a plastic crate. In fact, some people will swear by them because it's a little more enclosed. You know, it's sort of like if you if you take a uh, a metal crate and you put a blanket over it. It's the same, you know, that there's success in that because uh, again, it creates that separation and makes them feel more enclosed like a little den. So there is something to be said about the plastic crate with that. And then on top of it, guys, because you don't have to put a blanket over the plastic crate, you don't have to risk your puppy potentially biting at that blanket and eating it. If you have a metal crate and you throw a blanket over it, look, unless you know your puppy's not a chewer and not going to touch it, you are running the risk of your dog reaching through and starting to eat that blanket. And of course, we all know we don't want that. Okay. So plastic versus metal, there's plus pros and cons to both. Uh, really, again, to me, teach his own on that. Whatever works better for you. Now, the size of the crate. Guys, the size of the crate, it really should be a matter of your dog should be able to stand up in place comfortably without hitting their head, without hitting their back on the top of the crate. Stand up comfortably, turn around in place, and lie back down. We don't want to give them too much space in the crate because, as a lot of us know, the dog will end up peeing and pooping in there in the corner. And then if they don't, you know, if it's big enough that they won't lay in it, then they'll go lie on the other side of the crate and they'll have no problem peeing and pooping in the crate. Now we got another problem to deal with. Okay, so the crate has to be the right size. That's very important. Plastic versus metal to each his own size. That matters. Oh, boy. <laughs> Well, you know, hey, uh, anyway, nope, 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 we're moving on. Uh, <laughs> okay, how about bedding? Should you put bedding in your crate, yes or no? Look, it goes along with the blanket over the crate. It's the same thing. Is your dog a chewer? Is he going to eat the blanket or bedding? If the answer is yes, then don't put bedding in there. Look, I know some people go, oh, I don't want my dog to be on the plastic. Guys, this is a, this is a training tool. This is not a permanent thing. This is not something we're going to permanently have our dogs in. That's the goal, right? Is to get your dog out of the crate. So guys, putting your dog on the plastic for a couple hours is not going to kill them. I'm just, I'm telling you right now, it's just not. As a matter of fact, sometimes it's a necessity. For example, we have a dog in boot camp right now who she will pee on her bed. She'll pee on the dog bed in the crate because of course, guys, the soft bed is going to absorb the pee. And so to her, that's enough of, 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 of an absorption that she thinks she's not lying in the, in the pee. She's not laying in it, right? So sometimes we have to remove the bed in order to get her to stop peeing. And sure enough, we take the bed out. We've had no problems with peeing and pooping in the crate. Isn't that incredible? Now, once she learns to be housebroken more, once she gets a little older and we've worked on that, then we might be able to reintroduce the bed back into there. But food for thought, guys, it's not just about a safety factor of them eating it. It's also can be, it also can be a training thing. And there is nothing wrong with removing bedding temporarily uh, or, or altogether, really. I mean, again, the end goal is to get your dog out of that crate. So I don't see the problem with it. Um, again, guys, it's just a tool. It's just an ends to the me It's just a means to the end rather. Right. Okay. So, uh, yeah, bedding, think about that. Now, toys, water, food. I hear that a lot too. I don't want to leave my dog in the crate with no water, no food. Guys, you need to. There's no reason food. I'm just, look, we don't have to get into the details of this. I'm just going to tell you. You don't need to leave food and water in your crate for your dog. Unless you're gone a really long time, there's just no need for it. And if you're gone that long, you shouldn't be. <laughs> you shouldn't be with your puppy. You need to find a dog walker, a neighbor, a friend, a family member. Somebody needs to come over and let that dog out, okay? <laughs> uh, because, and again, we're not going to get into this today, but you need to be properly uh, setting your dog up for success 
and making sure they have enough water before they go in the crate, making sure they're getting enough water, they can pee, they're good. And that way, once they go in their crate, they don't need that water because they've already had plenty. Okay. So we're not going to talk about that today. Uh, but food, same thing. They don't need food lying around. We're not going to get into details of food today and leaving food lying around. But if you've listened to my podcast, you know you shouldn't leave food just lying around, okay? So no, I don't believe in leaving food in a crate. If you want to use treats to reinforce a puppy in the crate, hey, absolutely, I'm all for that. But not leaving a bowl of food in there. Toys. Okay, so toys, look, you guys, just warning, you've got to be careful and you have to know your puppy's chewing habits. So if you have a brand new young puppy, I would really recommend being mindful and being careful about what toys you leave in there. I would watch your puppy play with those, play with a toy for a long time before I'm going to trust them in the crate. Because if they eat it when you're not there, when they're unmonitored in the crate, right, you're in trouble. That's a problem. Okay, so we don't want our puppies eating the toys. So leaving them in the crate, you just need to know. You need to know which toys you can leave in there, which ones you can't. Kong toys are great for this, guys, especially young puppies, puppies that aren't big enough to destroy. Hey, some dogs can destroy Kongs. They're not completely indestructible, but they're pretty darn good. Um, and especially for puppies, they're a phenomenal toy because as, as you know, anybody out there knows, you can fill a Kong toy with peanut butter, with, with cheese, whatever, um, to make sure... Uh, your dog stays distracted and stimulated, right? So I don't have a problem with like a Kong toy for a puppy, something like that. But again, to me, it's more you need to know your individual dog. You need to know their chewing habits. And you as the owner need to be aware of what's safe and what's not. Because it's really not just a, a one-size-fits-all kind of rule here, you know? Um, where do we put the crate? Location of the crate in your house? Look, I, I try to crate puppies, you know, I try to crate. I mean, when I bring my try to crate, like, like I'm preventing myself, um, <laughs> I, I crate puppies and I crate dogs in the bedroom with me. I have no problem bringing a puppy into the bedroom. As a matter of fact, I prefer it uh, because then I don't have to get up and walk across the house if I'm training a puppy to stop whining in the middle of the night and I need to deal with it. I don't have to get up and walk across the house, you know, like I, there's that. Uh, there's also the fact that I... You know, look, I prefer to do things as a pack. These are pack animals. They want to be with their pack. And I find it helps to let them be in the bedroom with you. We're still going to have the separation. You're going to be in your crate. You're going to give me my space. I'm going to give you your space. Sort of a little, little give and take there, right? And that way the puppy feels more comfortable. They're with their pack, but we still can create that healthy separation. And that can help alleviate some separation anxiety issues, guys. At the same time, some people prefer to put the crate in the family room, living room, even big laundry room. They have a nice big laundry room. They prefer to put it in there because then they can put the puppy in, you know, maybe before they're going to bed, shut the door. Puppy can be asleep for the night. All good. I don't have a problem with that. I really don't. Uh, it can work well. But I do find that sometimes when you when you do create a dog in a different part of the house and you go to bed in your bedroom... They maybe don't like that because they want to be with their pack. So my personal preference is the bedroom, but you can gain success either way. Okay. Now, how long can a puppy stay in the crate? When they're young guys, it really shouldn't be very long. You know, and I'm, I'm talking like eight to 12 weeks when we're, when you're just able to get your dog, eight weeks is about the youngest, you know, that's the youngest you're allowed to really have a dog. Then the youngest you should have a dog taking it from its mom, uh, eight to 12 weeks and even sometimes a little older, depending on the size and breed. And that's more the point. It depends is the answer. How long can they be created? You need to know your dog's size, bladder, all that good stuff. Obviously, guys, a 10-week-old a Chihuahua, they're not going to have the, the physical capabilities to hold their bladder yet. So they're going to need to be taken out more often. And yes, in that 8 to 12-week range, sometimes a little longer, 
but usually right about 12 weeks is where I like to cut that off. Uh, that's where we're, we're making the puppy sleep through the night. We're not getting up in the middle of the night to take them out anymore. And even more so, I prefer to take the dog out in the middle of the night. Guys, note this one when they're not whining. Okay. Maybe I know the first night they whined at 3 a.m. They needed to go out. So I'm going to wake up at 2.15 and take them out before they whine. Do you see what I'm doing there? I'm not reinforcing the whining. If my puppy whines in the crate, I really want to do everything in my power to not let them out. Please take note of that, guys. I can't stress it enough. If your puppy whines in the crate, you do not want to immediately let them out. Okay, if they're really young and you know they need to go, that's one thing, but you want to try to start heading that off. If you can recognize that pattern, try to start getting ahead of it so that way you're just taking them out and they're not whining. Okay, um, so again, how long you're going to start with that four to six hour range at absolute max when they're really, really little, and even then it can maybe even be, depends. You got a really, really tiny teacup dog at eight weeks old, yeah, you might be a little more often, you might have a few sleepless nights. <laughs> to start with guys. Um, but you need to start extending it. Okay. Now, if I have a yellow lab who is 12 weeks old, he should be able to hold it through the night for eight hours without a problem. Guys, you heard me correctly. 12 weeks. Yeah. Most of the time. Now, again, there are the anomalies. There are some dogs who every dog is going to be a little bit different, but you can sort of start going for that rule of thumb. Once you start hitting 12 weeks and especially once you get to larger breeds, they have the ability to hold it. I've had people telling me, oh, we still take them out three. They still have to take them out at 3 a.m. And the dog is like 16, 17, 18 weeks old. And I'm going, oh, that dog's working you, man. Well, he still whines. We have to take. No, no, you don't. <laughs> Tell him no. Oh, my goodness. That's another segment. Go back and listen to um, why you should tell your dog no. This is one reason why. Um, <laughs> all right. So how long can they crate? It really depends. But once you start hitting that roughly 12 to 16 weeks, especially right at 12 for the larger dogs, uh, but 12 to 16 weeks, guys, that's where they should be able to hold it throughout the night without a problem. No issues. And then anything past 16 weeks, even for a small dog, you would be very surprised how long your dog is able to hold it. Okay, uh, let's keep going. Crate as punishment. Should you use a crate as punishment? I really prefer not to, guys. I just, I really do. Now, that's not to say you can't put your dog in the crate for five, 10 minutes because you've got to go do something across the house. You know you can't keep an eye on puppy. No problem. Put the dog in the crate. Put him in there. Give him a treat. Tell him, good boy, be done. Walk away. You're not using it as punishment, but you are using it as containment. And there's nothing wrong with that. Uh, so another little note as we're talking about this, crate randomly when you're home. Don't just crate your dog when you go to sleep. Don't just crate your dog when you leave. Put them in the crate for 20 minutes when you're home, when you're cooking dinner maybe, right? Uh, nothing wrong with that. Walk in and out of the room and pretend like he's in the, you know, he's in the crate. He's in his space. You can just walk out and do your thing, in and out. And that's the point. You get your dog used to it, it doesn't matter. Sometimes they leave, sometimes they don't. Sometimes you go in for a little while, sometimes it's a couple hours. You're changing it up and you're making your dog realize it doesn't matter the circumstance, the crate's all good. I can sit in here and be in the crate and it's all good. You might leave, you might not. Hey, everything's fine, okay? So think about that crate randomly sometimes. Now, um, housebreaking, guys. Let's start getting into housebreaking. Housebreaking is actually very simplistic and everybody overcomplicates the hell out of it. You've got to live by the mantra of K-I-S-S. Keep it simple, stupid. I cannot stress it enough, guys. Uh, you've got to keep it simplistic when it comes to housebreaking. Puppy pads, get rid of them. Pee pads, no need, get rid of them. 
excuse me, few needs. And look, you know what? I haven't made this, I haven't made this comment in a while, so I'm going to say it right now. When it comes to my podcast, and for that matter, when it comes to dog training, there are always, always exceptions to every rule. Always. That exception might be less than 1% of the time, but nonetheless, if it's an exception, it's an exception. Puppy pads are one of those things where less than 1% of the time, there is a use for puppy pads. Okay? But my point is, 99% or more of you do not need puppy pads, guys. You just don't. Get rid of them. Stop using them. You're making somebody rich who doesn't need to be. Um, (laughs) Stop it. Uh, Okay, so let's start there. Um, that's the first thing. So we need to keep it simplistic. And in doing so, we need some really basic tools. I need a crate. I need a leash. I need a collar and I need some treats. Excuse me. We also need some, uh, a, a good cleaner. <laughs> we also need some nature's miracle and some paper towels. <laughs> All right. Because accidents are going to happen. If you have a puppy, I'm telling you right now, they're going to. Now, some dogs only have four accident puppies, no, four accidents ever, and that's it. And you're good and you're golden. That's awesome. Not every not all dogs are created equal in that way. <laughs> okay. So um, when it starts with housebreaking, keep it simple. Okay. And housebreaking starts with control. You need to control your dog's input and output, intake and output, right? Know when you fed your dog. Know when they got water last. Know how much water they got last. Don't leave the water bowl down. We're going to get into all of this. Control. You have to control all these variables in order to housebreak your dog. Now, the first thing I'm going to recommend, guys, is make a log. You need to get a little notebook or something, um, especially if you have multiple people living in your house, multiple people taking this dog out. We need a log. We need to write down when your dog peed last, when your dog pooped last, what time, when they were fed, when they had... If you can be really detailed about it, man, you're going to housebreak your dog in no time. And the concept of what we're trying to do here, guys, we're trying to recognize patterns in their behavior and create patterns in their behavior for that matter. Um, Okay. So if you keep a log and you write all this down, you can just literally see it. Like you're just, you're just going to look at it on paper and you'll be able to see the patterns there. Uh, And also that log will create consistency among your family and knowing again, when the dog went out and making sure we're taking them out when they need to. Okay. Another thing is an egg timer. (laughs) Get one of those little kitchen egg timers, get a kitchen timer. Um, Not a cell phone timer because every, the timer needs to stay by the log. Okay, it needs to be in a central place because what you're going to do is when you need it, when your dog hasn't peed and maybe you need to set a timer, you're gonna, we'll get into this too, but egg timer is another thing we want to we wanna add on. Okay, so housebreaking your dog starts with consistency. That's why we have our log, okay? Now, um, when we let our dogs out first thing in the morning from the crate, we're going to leash them up. We're going to take them directly outside on leash. This is so important, guys. I don't care that you have a fenced backyard or a fenced area or it's okay. No, leash up your puppy. Please, please, please leash up your puppy when you take them out because you need to be able to guide and direct them. You're going to take them outside. You can say, go pee, go poop, whatever word you want to put with it. And you're going to make sure that they're putting that nose to the ground. Now, one of my little secrets is I actually, and this is why they need to be leashed, guys, guiding and directing. One of my little secrets is I'll actually create the figure eight motion using using leash, guiding them into that little figure eight that they do, the little pacing back and forth. And I have found if you do this, if you you almost you almost put them into that P mode by making them do the figure, by making them physically go into it. Okay. So you're gonna say go pee, but you're not gonna go, go pee, go pee, go pee. You're just gonna go, hey, go pee. Wait. 
hey, come on, go pee. They get distracted. You can do that and then wait. Don't keep saying it over and over and over and over and over and over because then it's just going to go in one ear and out the other. Okay. Then once they go pee, I usually, I don't like to say good, good, go pee because then they get excited and they stop being, you want to wait till they're done. <laughs> once they're done, of course, make a big deal about it. Tell them good boy, good girl, give them affection, give them a treat right away. Important detail note right here, guys. That treat needs to be in your hand or in your pot, whatever treat pouch. It needs to be ready to go the second they're done peeing. It cannot wait until you get back inside. You only have about 10 seconds for your puppy to be able to make any correlation or connection to what just happened in the food. So by the time you get back inside, null and void. It's gone, okay? So <laughs> keep that in mind. Treat needs to come right away. Now, let's say your dog doesn't pee when you take them out. What do you do? You bring them back inside, you keep them leashed up, and you keep them near you guys. You do not let them roam the house freely because they will find the corner when you're not paying attention and pee, and you'll never even know it, okay? So puppy needs to remain tethered to your side. If you can't watch your puppy, guess what you're going to do? Crate training. Hey, all right, we're back to that. You can put your puppy in a crate if you can't keep an eye on him, okay? So... Then, let, let's say we have them out on the leash, though, and I'm watching them, and I've got them leashed to me, and the nose goes back to the ground, you immediately go back outside and repeat the process, okay? The dog does not get off leash, or at least go out of your sight, right? If you, you can let the leash dangle and let them have a little bit of freedom, so long as you can keep an eye on them. But if you see that nose go to the ground, boom, out, outside immediately. If they don't go again, same thing, guys. Come back inside, on leash or crate, keep an eye on them. Usually my rule of thumb is 20 to 30 minutes. So here's where the egg timer comes in, right? You're going to come back inside on that log and where the log is, and you're going to hit that egg timer, 20, 30 minutes, hit start. Now you don't even have to think about it. All you got to do is either wait for the timer to go off or wait for the signs that your dog needs to go. Okay. So again, once your dog does pee, does poop, you're going to come back inside and you're going to write down what time they went and what they did. Okay. So very important. That's how it starts. Now, as far as the consistency side of it, guys, I don't want you feeding your dog at 6.30 in the morning every single day. I don't. Maybe when they're, look, maybe when they're 8 to 12 weeks old, if we can have that level of consistency. But after a couple weeks of that strict consistency, I want you to start changing it up by 30 minutes, maybe an hour. In the end, what I like to create is a usually about a two-hour window that I feed my dogs in. That way, they don't come to expect it at 6 a.m. every day. However, starting with that consistency with a young puppy is very good and very important. So that way, you're, you're creating consistency in their output, right? If they eat at the same time every day, they're going to have to go about the same time every day. Okay, it makes it a little more predictable. But we want to wean off of that as they get older and as they start learning, they're supposed to go outside. Okay, so really important to think about that. All right. So, you know, housebreaking is definitely starting with a ton of consistency and then slowly backing off. So again, guys, I just kind of want to run through the list of that housebreaking. Make sure I got it all there for you. So the first thing is anytime you take them out, they need to be leashed up and you're guiding and directing them, creating that figure eight motion to getting them to go. Once they do go to the bathroom, you're going to praise it with food, with affection right there. The second they're done going, don't wait till you go back inside. Okay. If your dog doesn't go, you bring them back in, you keep them leashed up or put them in the crate. Okay. Uh, if 20 to 30 minutes go by and you haven't seen any signs that they need to go, you take them back out and try again. Rinse and repeat this process until they go. Okay. Your dog should not be given freedom, should not be completely let off leash and unsupervised until they go, especially if you know that they need to go. 
If you can't keep your an eye on your dog for a couple minutes, put them in their crate, close the crate, and then come back and deal with it again. Again, rinse and repeat that process, okay? But you really want to start right there. Now, we do want to create a poop and pee log, <laughs> right? Make sure you're creating a nice log that everybody's filling out so we know when our dog is eating, when our dogs are drinking, and peeing and pooping. We're writing down the time and what they did so we can see the patterns and help to create some consistency within your household, all right? As they get older, the consistency can be a little less strict, right? We don't have to be feeding them at the exact same time every day, peeing and pooping at the exact same time every day, because then they will come to expect that. On the days you want to sleep in, maybe you don't want that. So become a little bit more lax and sort of create a two-hour window is what I prefer. All right. So really important there. Um, really, guys, it's just about consistency at the end of the day. And one other important one other important note that I didn't make with the housebreaking: if your dog does have an accident, if you catch them in the act, do not scold them. Do not punish them, guys. It's not going to help. Your dog's just going to end up wanting to avoid you, and they're just going to hide the pooping and peeing from you. So. If you catch your dog in the act, the best thing you can do is lift them up right away and get them outside as fast as possible. Try to get them to go outside and then reward it. Okay, I know it's not ideal. It's not what you want to hear, uh, <laughs> but it's what you got to do. And then, of course, the afterward, uh, after part, when you clean it up, make sure you're using a good quality cleaner that is actually designed to break down the smell and composition of the urine uh, so dogs don't want to smell it and continue marking there. Nature's Miracle, that is my preferred go-to cleaner when it comes to cleaning up pet messes. And believe me, I know a thing or two about it. <laughs> okay, we have a lot of puppies come through this house and they are going to have accidents at some point. It is inevitable always. Okay, but if you start with that consistency, you always reward it, you're going to be in a good place. But, but we have to start with crating, guys. We have to start with crating. Let's do that little recap on the crating. Don't forget, crating is a must. It's going to help you with separation anxiety. It's going to keep your dog safe. And then the practical uses. Oh my goodness, I didn't even talk about one of the practical uses. One of them, of course, is just, hey, if you need five minutes and you can't keep an eye on your puppy, boom, crate. Uh, but down the road, I've talked about this before. If God forbid your dog ever has to have surgery or you're in a hurricane prone area like myself and maybe one day you need to evacuate, your dog needs to know how to be crated. Whether you have to stay in a hotel, go to a shelter, or after surgery, you need to keep your dog off his feet. The crate is going to be an ideal tool for this. And if you haven't properly introduced that crate uh, well before these things come up, guys, it's going to be a hard transition. So I cannot stress it enough. Practical uses for the crate are also wonderful like that. And of course, crating is going to help with housebreaking. Don't forget you want a crate that's just big enough for your dog to stand up comfortably, turn around in place, and lie back down. Plastic versus metal, hey, that's kind of up to you. Bedding, yes or no, really depends. Really depends on if your dog is going to eat the bedding, chew the bedding, do anything like that, or maybe make a mess in the bedding. So that's more up to the individual puppy. It can be done correctly. I do want to make the crate a comfortable and happy place, but we need to be mindful. Speaking of mindful, that brings us to toys. Make sure you're being mindful of what toys you're going to leave in the crate with your dog. If you know your dog is a chewer, big time eater, know those habits before you leave those toys in your crate, okay? Food and water, not necessary in the crate, guys. You don't need those, I promise you. Make sure your dog is getting enough water, enough food beforehand, and it shouldn't be an issue, so you don't need to leave that in the crate. How long can your dog be in the crate? Depends on their age, depends on their size, but in reality, guys, by about 12 to 16 weeks, there is no reason your dog cannot spend eight hours in the crate, okay? Overnight, right? Uh, where do we put the crate? 
I prefer it in the bedroom. I like to do everything as a pack. It allows you to easily correct and redirect behavior if that's necessary, but you can make it work in other parts of the home as well. I prefer not to use a crate as a form of punishment. Um, I prefer to really only use it as a place that's desirable for your puppy, but you can use it as a form of management of making sure your puppy's safe. If you just can't keep an eye on them, please feel free to use that crate. No problems there. Don't forget to also crate randomly when you're home. Don't just crate at night. Don't just crate when you're leaving. Put your puppy in the crate for 20 minutes and do some chores around the house or maybe just sit and watch TV. Um, we want our puppies to understand that it doesn't matter. Sometimes I'm going to leave. Sometimes I'm not. Sometimes you're in your crate. Sometimes It doesn't really matter and it makes your puppy feel more comfortable by creating that kind of randomness to it. Um, so, don't forget also, guys, uh, one thing I hadn't mentioned about the crate, one more thing. Don't forget to let your puppies in and out of the crate slowly, comfortably, and calmly. If your puppy's acting really crazy and really riled up, the last thing I want to do is let them out of the crate because then I'm just reinforcing that overexcited, crazy behavior. If you get home and your puppy's acting crazy in the crate, just ignore them. Just ignore them. Pretend like they're not even there. I promise it may take 20 minutes, but I promise you they'll end up relaxing. And once they do relax, then you can let them out. Now slowly make your way over to the crate. Take your time because they might start to lose it once they realize, oh my gosh, you're coming to let me out. Take your time letting them out, guys. Uh, but make sure they're going in and out of the crate nice and calmly as well. It's kind of important, okay? Uh, but yeah, there's a, there's a lot to it. You know, there really is a lot to crate training and housebreaking. That's why this ended up kind of becoming a long segment because I wanted to make sure that I hit all the details. Uh, the detail, you know, it, it's all in the details. It really is. And there's a lot of important details to these things. But crating and housebreaking, guys, to me, by far, the most important aspect when it comes to training and working with your puppies. <laughs> That's going to wrap up the podcast today. Thank you so much for listening in. If you haven't clicked that subscribe or that follow button, do so right now. New episodes come out every Wednesday and you're going to want to check them out. You can find me on Instagram at speakadogcast and we have our brand new training tip Tuesdays. So click that subscribe button and have get a brand new dog training tip every single Tuesday. Subscribe to my YouTube channel at speakadogcast. If you'd like to support the show even further, become a patron at patreon.com slash speakadogcast. I would like to thank my patrons, my pup supporter, Regula Wright, and my dog friend, Maureen have a wonderful week and don't forget to get out there and walk your dog.